what Keep Kids Alive is all about. It's all about preserving relationships. Hi, this is Margie Sturgeon with Weberize Podcast Production, and welcome to a special year-end edition of the Keep Kids Alive podcast. In this episode, Tom Everson, the executive director and founder of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, is handing over the hosting reins to talk about how the nonprofit has evolved since its creation in 1998, how it has helped families honor and remember their loved ones, and how strong relationships with donors supporting communities around the country have made an impact in helping KKAD 25 in their mission to make streets safer for all who walk, cycle, play, drive, and ride. 2023 will mark the 25th anniversary of the organization, and Tom talks about what's ahead as his call to action has never been louder. Let's listen. Tom, hello. How are you? Oh, hi, Marty. <laughs> Good that we're having this conversation. Uh, it's been almost three years since we had the first one together to launch the Keep Kids Alive podcast. Yes, it has gone by so fast, but it's been awesome to see how it's evolved and the, the guests that you've brought on and the stories that you've shared. And so I'm really excited to have this opportunity just to sit down with you again and kind of recap some of that, but also talk about the future, right? Yes, definitely. Because uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 turns 25 in 2023, yeah, which to me is kind of amazing in and of itself because when I started it back in 1998, I, I certainly wasn't thinking 25 years forward and imagining all the uh, the people that I would meet along the way, all the people who are committed to their communities and uh, you know all the family members who have been grieving the death of a loved one due to a traffic incident and how all of them would become part of our mission in uh, some very unique ways along the way. And uh, so it's nice to have the opportunity to just kind of look back and consider what some of the highlights have been and, you know, how that uh, feeds into where we're going into our 25th year and beyond. Yeah. Well, looking back, tell me about those early years of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 and how they've shaped what you do today. Good question. <laughs> You know, when I think about, uh, you know, the early days of Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, uh, it really takes me back to the fact that I never intended to found a nonprofit. You know, I was simply concerned about the speed of traffic on the street in front of our own home. And our four kids were between four and 10 years of age. And there were a lot of kids running around the neighborhood and playing and having a good time. You know, and just being concerned about their own safety as uh, I think I mentioned probably the first time that we talked back in uh, 2020 is that I contacted the city of Omaha because like so many people, I figured, well, you know, if you get a speed bump on the street, that'll solve the problem. But then, you know, quickly realized from the information they sent that a uh, speed bump wasn't appropriate on our street because we live on a hill. And if you put a speed bump on a hill, then you could turn a speeding car into an airborne speeding car, which, yes, which would be even more dangerous. And so, uh, you know, I wasn't really thinking of other solutions, but being a runner, I was out on that run back in July of 1998. And this phrase, keep kids alive, drive 25 popped in my head. And, uh, you know, when I think about that, when I first went out to a graphic designer to put a logo together 
And I had no idea in my own mind what a logo would even look like for this uh, slogan. You know, but uh, Mike Cottrell, who is a local uh, graphic designer, and he's still around today, and uh, he created our 25th anniversary logo as well. So it's kind of a nice, uh, I don't want to call it a bookend because we're not done yet. But, uh, you know, it's a nice thread that has run through this. And, you know, he came up with a very simple design that has affected traffic safety in over 1,700 communities in 49 states plus D.C. and as far away as Queensland State, Australia. And I certainly, uh, I did have the imaginings when I started that I really wanted to have a national campaign. I, I was thinking big from the get-go, not that I knew how to do all of that and how uh, all of it would come together. But, you know, having worked in positions in my uh, prior life where networking was incredibly important, I think once a person knows how to develop a network, a network is a network. It's all about people and connecting with people. And uh, to me, it really doesn't really depend on the background of those people. In this case, with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, it it was law enforcement, neighborhood groups, public works, uh, city officials, uh, schools, businesses, anybody in a community that was uh, interested in... uh, addressing traffic safety. And in some cases, it might be a couple moms on a block, you know, who they were just concerned. It's like, well, we can mobilize uh, our neighbors and get something done. And so, uh, you know, from kind of humble beginnings and our first meeting with Omaha Police Department, who let us know that uh, speeding was the number one traffic complaint of every neighborhood in the city, and letting me know there's never going to be a bad time to start a campaign like this that really is grassroots, that really works to engage residents as being a solution to the problems we cause because we're the ones who speed, run stop signs, won't put our cell phones down, all the kind of behaviors that can uh, lead to a crash and um, could lead to severe injuries, could lead to deaths. And I figure none of us really want to be that person behind the wheel when something like that happens. And So, uh, you know, all of that from those humble beginnings back in 1998 have uh, morphed into more relationships than we'd ever have time to talk about in uh, this or maybe even a series of dozens of podcasts. But it really has took us on an adventure that has really fueled my uh, passion and energy over these last uh, 24 plus years. Well, and I like that you use the word relationships. I like that you use described like moms on the block wanting to get together. Cause I feel like one of the things that I've learned over these last few years, uh, helping you do this podcast is you have a way of empowering people to take on the mission in their own ways. Can you tell me maybe some of your favorite examples of how that's occurred? Well, you know, we go back to the first year, we learned a lot the first year and, uh, I always like to say imagination is the limit. And uh, yeah, I tell people that in communities all the time because uh, yeah, I remember those early years and I'd get a lot of requests where don't you just have a blueprint that we can follow? And, uh, you know, every community to me is not simply based on a blueprint. I mean, there's personalities to communities. There's opportunities in some communities that aren't there in others. And uh, for example, our, our first year, The first things was back in, say, January, February of 1999, and we had our first neighborhood here in the Omaha area where we're based, 
uh, Echo Hills, which is in uh, Sarpy County, they wanted to put up street signs. And so they were the first neighborhood in the whole world <laughs> that put up a Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 street signs. And those signs are still there today. Uh, I can drive by that neighborhood and drive into it and take a picture. Yeah. And uh, we did that back in 1999, too, with uh, with our kids when they were so much younger than they are now. You know, but that was followed by uh, the city of Danville, California, which was the first uh, city to adopt Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 as part of their traffic calming initiatives, where they'd work with neighborhoods to try to uh, reduce the speed of traffic. And they also decided to utilize some street signage as part of their project. But then uh, Danville, which is up in the uh, San Francisco area, down the uh, road from them quite a bit uh, is Oceanside, California, because that's in uh, San Diego County. And Oceanside was the first community that came on board and uh, created a yard sign based campaign but their focus was on the neighborhood doing a pilot project in the neighborhood where there was the highest verifiable incidence of speeding. And so this was a neighborhood where the speed limit was 25 miles an hour and the average speeds were 38 miles an hour, you know, which is tremendously fast, especially, you know, if somebody's going, this is my simple math is if somebody's going 25, then somebody else has to be going 51 to get a 38. And so you've got, you know, speeds all over the place. But they decided to concentrate on this one particular neighborhood, and uh, they had the data up front about uh, speeds. And uh, when they engaged the neighborhood in doing a uh, a yard sign campaign, uh, any neighbor or any resident that wanted to put a sign in their yard could do so. But I went out there, and you could have run a plumb line right up the street and hit those signs right in the same place. I mean, it was... It was really an effective way of kind of letting everybody know who came down any particular street that we're really serious about you slowing down. Yeah, visual. Yeah, but they did a post study and they showed a 16% reduction in average speeds. That ended up being published in a uh, publication called the Urban Transportation Monitor, which was certainly a publication that was unknown to me at that time. But uh, I soon learned that traffic engineers as far away as Australia read it because I heard from them. They, they were interested in finding out how Oceanside did their project. And so I was able to connect people together so that they could talk, you know, like to like, uh, traffic engineer to traffic engineer, law enforcement to law enforcement to talk about how they uh, originated their campaign. So that was a big boost for us to be in, a, in really an international publication. And that was followed shortly thereafter with the uh, what was the advent of what would become uh, America's Trash Talks to Keep Kids Alive in Oro Valley, Arizona, because they decided to uh, decal their residential trash cans with our Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 logo uh, in an effort to engage all citizens in sending out a traffic safety message. Might just be once a week on trash pickup day, but then it would rotate from neighborhood to neighborhood. So people would see that all around town. They also did a pre-post study. You know, I'm grateful to Officer Mike Stevenson. I have no idea what he's doing at this point of his life, but he spearheaded this whole event and got the uh, Tucson Electric Company involved as a uh, corporate partner that underwrote the cost of the decals got the Boy Scouts involved in going up and down the streets on trash days so that they could uniformly put the decals on the trash cans. 
they ended up showing a 13.5% reduction in average speed in their study that uh, without riding, an engine, riding a ticket or re-engineering a street, and um, the average speeds came down to about 24.5 miles an hour. Uh, so, I mean, and it was the people that were making that happen. Right. Because to me, the, the heart of uh, what we do with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 it is about relationships. I mean, the question, and it's tied in with our 25th anniversary logo, is uh, who do you love and who loves you? I love that so much. I think of it so often, too. Well, you know, because for any of us, it really comes down to who are we coming home to, who's coming home to us. Uh, because if those relationships really don't matter to us, then why should that affect our behavior? But if they do matter to us, then they definitely should be affect our behavior behind the wheel, whether it's observing the posted speed limit or going slower when we encounter pedestrians, people walking their dogs, uh, cyclists, uh, children playing in a neighborhood, you know, just respecting the relationships of all the people who live in any place, anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's really the key to it is, uh, you know, for me, I've consistently said we could pass, you know, a thousand traffic laws, but uh, any good traffic law would always be about preserving relationships. Yes. Uh, and if it's not about preserving relationships, then, uh, you know, to me, then it may just simply become, okay, well, here's another punitive measure or something, but it's not really getting at the heart of why we should behave well uh, on and along roadways. Absolutely. And it's such a great message. And I, it resonates with me because Getting behind the steering wheel, you know, putting your seatbelt on, turning the ignition, all those steps are very not personal and merging into traffic, not personal. But when you visualize, you ask that question, you're seeing a mom or a dad like driving that other car, or brother or sister, like those relationships that make it personable and help you think about like, yes, follow the speed limit, put your phone down and those sorts of things like that's very powerful. Well, and it's uh, it's kind of a simple message. Yeah. You know? So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, you will continue to ask those questions and, you know, hopefully people will uh, continue to take those to heart and have that influence their behavior when they get behind the wheel or, you know, even when we're thinking about, you know, what we're doing, uh, you know, I mentioned I'm a runner, you know, but as a runner, I, I feel like I, I have some obligation to pay attention to what's going on around me, you know, that I'm paying attention to traffic and, you know, where's an appropriate place to cross and when's an appropriate time to cross. And because it's an acknowledgement of, of everyone as a human being, whether they're the driver, a passenger, a pedestrian, a cyclist, a motorcyclist, you know, somebody at play, just walk in the neighborhood, whoever it is, it could be me. And, uh, you know, which reminds me, just a couple months ago, we had a conversation with Trini Willerton, uh, whose foundation is called It Could Be Me. Yes. You know, to put ourselves in that position and realize that any one of us could be affected on any particular day by a tragic traffic incident. So we talked about the early years and how they shaped what you're doing today. Now, you've also been doing something called the Live Forward Pikes Peak Weekend, and that's evolved over the years. Tell me how how it's brought people together. Well, you know, first of all, just uh, want to mention about 
how Live Forward came to be. Because, you know, when I started Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, uh, it wasn't even a thought in my mind that families would contact me because of the death of a loved one yeah. in a traffic incident. And it was a couple of years in when I started hearing from families. And so, you know, one of the reasons why they were contacting me is they wanted to get involved in our mission as a, uh, a positive way to remember their loved one and to try to do something to contribute to traffic safety in their community. And so, you know, I began working with these families, but as more and more families uh, came along, what became Live Forward evolved into uh, a focus on helping families to, to look at, well, what good would I like to bring into the world in honor of my loved one who died? And so, so many of these families, uh, they've started foundations and the foundations are not necessarily focused on traffic safety all the time maybe uh, focused on a passion that their loved one had. You know, if they were involved in the arts, it might be dance, it might be music, you know, but something that really kept the spirit alive uh, of their loved one in this world and, uh, and really helped to reach out and engage other people because of the passion that their loved one had. Uh, some of them set up scholarship funds, and uh, many of them are still continuing to give out college scholarships or scholarships to trade schools or even scholarships for uh, taking driver's ed. All kinds of different ways that families have uh, reached out uh, to others. But where that began to become formalized is uh, back in 2007, my uh, oldest son, uh, Matthew, he was 19 at the time, and my brother, Mike, who lives in Colorado Springs, we, uh, and I grew up in Colorado Springs, so I, I really have an affinity and affection for the area and love to go home. We decided that we would do the Pikes Peak Ascent Trail Race in honor of loved ones who died in traffic incidents. And it wasn't real formal. Uh, the three of us were going to run and we had shirts made that had the names of the loved ones of the families who had connected with our mission at that, that point on the back of the shirt. And then we sent the, we sent replica shirts to all the families, wherever they lived. You know, there was a family in Florida and one in Maryland and one in Pennsylvania and one in Wisconsin and, you know, probably a few other States as well. We just asked them to wear those shirts in solidarity with us when we ran the Pikes Peak Ascent trail race. And for those who are not familiar, the Pikes Peak Ascent and marathon trail races they're certified trail races that people from all over the world come to run every year. For those who are wondering about the geography, Pikes Peak is in Colorado. It's in Colorado Springs. The city uh, sits in the shadow of Pikes Peak. It's uh, it's just omnipresent there. And and so it's a real privilege to run up the trail. It's just beautiful and, uh, and challenging. That's what I was thinking. It sounds hard. Well, it's 13.32 miles and, uh, you know, you spend the last 2,000 plus feet above timberline and you, you don't necessarily have all the oxygen that your body would like to have at that point. But, uh, but you know, our thought was doing this, no matter what kind of a day we had on the mountain, it certainly, you know, was uh, less taxing on ourselves in terms of our own lives as being immersed in the grief of having a loved one who died in a traffic incident. But uh, we, these families, they did. They, they wore their shirts in solidarity with us, and they started emailing us the, that night back in 2007 when we were off the mountain. And a real consistent theme emerged in these emails, and that they had all had a great day. 
And I asked, well, how did, why did you have a great day? How did you have a great day? And they said, well, we wore our shirts. And our shirts uh, led to conversations because people asked us about our shirts and we got to tell our story. And it kind of goes back to something I've probably mentioned on this podcast uh, several times is that story is everything. And the the reality of how much it meant to these families to be able to keep the stories of their loved ones alive and the, the simply being able to have a shirt with their name on it would help to, uh, invite other people to ask and they would get a chance to share their story. So that first weekend uh, that we spent out in Colorado Springs, it, it turned into 2008, 2009. And we, we kept adding runners, but uh, they were all related to me. And, uh, and I, it wasn't by intention, but my sons started running and my brother, Sean in St. Louis, he was running with us. And, you know, we had a bunch of Eversons on the mountain and, you know, we, we never finished at the same time because we are certainly of different degrees of uh, swiftness. <laughs> That's a polite way to put it. Yeah. Well, usually I would be, uh, of course I was the oldest, so <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe that uh, uh, accounted for my trailing everybody most years. But the point is we always finished. But by the time I'd get up there, they said, are you the last Everson that is going to be on the trail today? Because <laughs> they had called so many Eversons. But the real pivot point for us was when uh, Russ Lloyd, who uh, lives here in Omaha, our hometown, he decided to run with us in 2012. Russ and his wife, uh, Ann, their daughter, Shannon, had died in 2001. She was seven years old. And uh, 2012 would have marked Shannon's graduation year from high school. And so Russ really wanted to run to do something significant that year to mark that graduation year. And what he chose to do was to run with us. And uh, it was a magnificent weekend. Uh, And I know it meant a lot to Russ. It meant a lot to Ann. And when I think back to that first run that we did in 2007, Anne had, uh, Shannon's name was on our shirt and Anne had mentioned to me that one of, uh, Shannon's favorite expressions was run like the wind. Oh, so, uh, I can't say, well, I guess I ran like the wind. It was like a gentle breeze. You know? <laughs> Close. <laughs> it was not a gale force, <laughs> but it was, uh, a, but back day in 2007, it was a particularly quiet day on the mountain. I mean, there was, the air was still and it was sunny. It was a nice day and all, but it was kind of warm. And I was probably about halfway up the trail. And all of a sudden, this nice breeze comes along oh. and uh, just uh, remind us like, well, well, thanks, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> I needed that. And so uh, uh, I think most of the people who have uh, run with us in the years that uh, have followed, they know that story of Shannon and Run Like the Wind. And Russ has run with us nine times now. And he even has a running shirt that uh, has long sleeves, and uh, which helps when you're above timberline. And on the uh, on the right sleeve, it says "Run like the wind." That was a real marker for us. But uh, the next year was probably even more so a marker because Tad and Jonah Johnson, who at that time lived in uh, Loveland, Colorado, they had started a foundation in honor of their daughter who had died in 2013. And they asked if they said, we're not runners. We just want to come down to Pikes Peak. We'd just like to go up to the summit. We'd like to meet the runners as you finish. And so we got them a hotel room in Manitou Springs, which is at the uh, foot of Pikes Peak. 
And uh, they went up to the summit and they welcomed us with their son, Isaac. And uh, when they went home, Tad wrote a uh, letter and he sent it to me. And uh, the letter, in effect, was an invitation to families all over the country who had experienced the death of a loved one in a traffic incident to come to Pikes Peak. Uh, he basically said, this magic, this, uh, this mountain is magic. And uh, they had just had such a powerful experience of just being present on the mountain. And so uh, six families actually took him up on the invitation. <laughs> so 2014, you know, we had 24 family members from these six families that uh, went up to the summit and greeted our runners. And, you know, we had a, a more formal dinner at the end of the day to just share stories. And, and uh, everybody just had an incredible time. And, you know, since that time, it's, it's grown where we varied anywhere between, you know, we might have 30 family members, but the most I think we had was 90 wow. that, that came uh, several years ago. But it's our Live Forward weekend, and we, we plan for it almost all year long because uh, we uh, raise money to assist uh, first-time families that are coming that uh, with their expenses related to whether it's travel or uh, the hotels or any of the you know, ancillaries going on, goings on during the weekend because there's all kinds of things going on that we have that weekend. And uh, it, it's really turned into a celebration of life. Uh, it uh, oftentimes may not feel that way to the families when they start and we have our meet and greet because they can be so immersed in the grief because of the great love they have for their loved ones who've died. Uh, but as they share their stories and connect with other families, they create kind of an informal support network and it really becomes a celebration so that when we have our, our formal dinner on Saturday evening, when we're all off the mountain, uh, there's just storytelling and laughter and they don't want to leave the room, <laughs> you know, which is just a wonderful sign of them being connected and, and, uh, you know, maybe being at a different place than they imagined themselves being when they arrived on Friday. And, uh, and so that just continues to evolve and we're, we know we've already got a team of 11 runners that have committed in September, 2023, and we're already raising money to, help hopefully make it the best weekend ever for everybody who comes out. And one of the things we do is we work to match up our runners with each of the families that come so that every family has somebody running for their loved one. There have been some pretty incredible embraces at the end of, of the race of people who maybe didn't know each other 24 hours or 36 hours before that time. But, uh, you know, somebody's carried their name, 13.32 miles up a mountain trail that goes up 7,800 feet in elevation, starts at 6,300 and goes up to 14,115. And it's emotion that you certainly don't have to manufacture. It just is there. Yeah, it sounds very meaningful. And so you're already planning for next year's. I saw it is September 14th through the 17th, 2023. That's correct. You know, if any of our listeners out there, uh, if you're just feeling like I'd like to contribute in some way, you know, we, we do appreciate donations that are earmarked for the weekend. You know, if you're a member of a family who had a loved one who's died in traffic incidents and you wanted to be involved, uh, you certainly can contact me. Uh, you can email me very easily off of our website, which is keepkidsalivedrive25.org or kkad25.org is our shorthand for that. We've got uh, a whole page dedicated to the Pikes Peak weekend that 
uh, gives you a little bit of background information. And, you know, I always welcome you to contact me uh, about getting involved. But also if, uh, you know, there are those of you who, you know, have uh, the means to donate and, uh, you know, to help out with expenses for a family or even to adopt a whole family to help with their expenses, uh, we're always very grateful for that, as well as for sponsors. I mean, uh, GEICO has been a sponsor for our Pikes Peak weekend for many years now, and uh, we're grateful for sponsorships like that. The Ford Motor Company Fund has already been, has been a sponsor as well. Target is one of our great partners. Uh, they provide all the snacks and everything for the families throughout the weekend and uh, even provide volunteers for our uh, tent that we get to have in the exhibit village uh, for the event, and uh, which is donated by the Pikes Peak Ascent and Marathon Race Committee, which they certainly don't have to do, but we're very grateful for them welcoming us in a real special way each year. So speaking of supporters and donors, Keep Kids Alive has developed strong relationships with donors over the years and grant funders. Some of those include the Ford Motor Company Fund, the GM Charitable Foundation. Tell me more about what these contributions mean for Safer Roads. Well, what they do, uh, a lot of what Ford uh, Motor Company Fund has allowed us to do is to create PSAs. And in particular, we focused on uh, distracted driving and on seatbelt use. You know, sometimes people might wonder, you know, why would you focus on seatbelt use? Uh, aren't, isn't everybody buckling up these days? But if you take a state like Nebraska, where we're at, according to the latest data, over 70% of people who die in car crashes aren't buckled up. You know, even if 80, 85% of people are buckling up, that 15% that's not is way, way, way overrepresented when it comes to fatalities. And so uh, we've been very, very grateful for, uh, you know, for Ford's support. And, and Ford actually was instrumental in being a sponsor for our very first uh, trek up Pikes Peak because they, they sponsored our team and our event. And so that helped cover the cost of the T-shirts we sent to all the families and everything. And so uh, they have been just a great support uh, throughout the years. Lately, the General Motors uh, Charitable Foundation has afforded us uh, an opportunity to do something that is rare. We've been working with under-resourced uh, communities in the Detroit area, in uh, St. Louis, and in Phoenix. Uh, and for going on three years now, they've been funding projects where we engage uh, local partners, which are local nonprofits in those communities, in uh, creating traffic safety uh, campaigns or other uh, avenues to work to engage the community in recognizing what we need to be about, what we need to be doing in order to help create safer streets for everybody who walks, cycles, plays, drives, and rides, which is our mission in a nutshell. For example, in Detroit, probably a year or so ago, you got to hear uh, Mama Shoe and and her uh, group that uh, has been working on the project in uh, Highland Park, Michigan, and they have a very thriving arts community. And so one of the aspects of their project was to create a street mural and uh, it helped to engage the, the artists in the community in doing a, a project that brought the community together. There's a publication called Street Blog that uh, ran a, uh, an article last June that highlighted recent research on the use of doing street art. 
you know, which showed that when you create a mural in uh, the middle of an intersection, it reduced crashes by 50%. And a lot of times people think, well, you know, that can't be. I mean, the art probably would be a distraction. But the thing is, is it's the art helps to reclaim community space. It makes it our own. It makes it special. So, you know, to me, that's one, I mean, that's just one small example of, of what's happened in Highland Park. But then you take St. Louis and we had Tiffany Stanfield on our podcast from Fighting Hard, which hard stands for hit and run driving because her sister uh, was killed by a hit and run driver. They have uh, created a uh, documentary that helps families to tell the stories of what's happened with them. And uh, it'll actually be be airing on PBS in uh, 2023 in St. Louis. And so that was another very creative enterprise that arose out of this uh, General Motors funded project. And then in Phoenix, the two neighborhoods I've been working with in uh, Phoenix, Perry Park and the Estrella neighborhoods in Phoenix, they have mobilized from the ground up to create unique traffic safety campaigns. And one of the highlights for me is that all of their uh, graphics have been designed by kids. And it's just amazing when you harness the talent of young people to contribute in a positive way within the community, in particularly in the Australia neighborhood where we're at with that project now, is that they've taken the logo that was developed by a seventh grade girl and uh, it's going to be on banners that will be displayed at every school in the school district, you know, to try to heighten awareness. I'm not going to say it's the end all and be all in terms of getting people to focus in on, you know, proactive and positive behaviors behind the wheel, but it is a way to engage and really get ownership within the neighborhood. Cause I'm a big believer in uh, creating a local ownership uh, that people need to have a sense that not only this is my community, but we can do something to make this community better. And that's what's so heartening about these GM funded projects is just how uh, rooted they are in the community and how those people who are involved have taken hold of it. A third example I just like to give is uh, State Farm provided a significant amount of funding for our, uh, the Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 project in Trainer, Iowa, which is a small town, rural town, uh, not too far from Omaha. Their campaign was born out of the in the wake of the death of Tristan White, who's a 14-year-old student who uh, was out with the wrestling team uh, running. And they were on a rural road that was uh, marked at 25 miles an hour, but a pickup truck driver came down at 50 miles an hour and, and you know, sadly hit Tristan and ended his life. But the community really rallied uh, around the family and particularly Trainer High School, you know, because through their Junior Optimist Club, they spearheaded the start of a Keep Kids Alive campaign within their community that started out with banners and yard signs and passing out you know, key fobs and decals and things like this at, you know, basketball games or school events. But what it morphed into, and really with the help of uh, the funding through uh, State Farm Neighborhood Assist Grants, is the development of a plan to create a community trail in Trainer. And uh, this past July, I ran in their initial 5K that marked the dedication of the trailhead. The trail's still to be built. But there are all kinds of partners involved in this now. The National Park Service, uh, 
the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, uh, Iowa West Foundation, the Potawatomi uh, uh, County uh, Trail Conservancy. I mean, all of these groups have come together to assist, and I'm probably not naming all the partners, but it just kind of gives you an idea of the, the scope of how much this project has grown from something that just started out as an idea and uh, working with them in, in honor of Tristan and uh, has become something so much more that embraces the community as a whole. You know, a lot of times uh, I think, well, what kind of influence could we have? Like if we're in a small town or maybe we're just a couple people on a block somewhere in America and all. And I, I think when there's a, a will and a passion and uh, some imagination about what's possible and then beginning to draw in partners to the process that over time, you know, great things can happen that make the community better, that make it safer, and that uh, not only create awareness, but invite that awareness to turn into real behavioral action on the part of people as they think about, how am I driving today? <laughs> or how am right. I? Yeah. It sounds so simple. And it also, to me, sounds like me as a donor or or a company donation, it sounds like that's a real investment. That's an investment in community. That's an investment in people. And it's even bigger investment in relationships. It is. And uh, I'm not sure I can measure the gratitude I have for all the people that I have come to know over these almost 25 years now. Because, I mean, I get to meet, I get to meet and work with the best people in every community that connects with Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 because the people that uh, approach us and that we connect with, they actually care about their community. And, and you, to me, you can't pay somebody to care. <laughs> Either you do or you don't. Uh, you can't pay somebody to have passion for the things that, that truly matter in life and, and you know, coming back to relationships. And, uh, you know, to have people uh, like that in communities of all sizes all over the country and even beyond the borders of the United States is just uh, an incredible uh, experience to have because uh, it, it provides its own energy and it just keeps, you know, fueling and refueling uh, the possibilities as new ideas emerge. And because uh, I don't think we've exhausted the ideas about, you know, how we can address traffic safety. It really, as I said, has been gratifying. So. Yes. Yeah, definitely. We've looked back over the years and we're kind of ending 2022. Are there any major accomplishments you'd like to kind of highlight that have occurred in the last year? Well, let's let's take this maybe in the context of the last couple of years. Sure. You know, because, uh, you know, everyone listening was affected by the pandemic in some way, shape, or form and may well still be affected. But uh, back in April of 2020, uh, my daughter, Erin, she adopted a uh, corgi and she started a campaign called Hashtag Safe Roads for Rogi. The Rogi is her little Corgi's name and she created memes for it and was putting out a meme a week. And we put up on our Facebook page and, 
uh, you know, Rogi had all kinds of traffic safety message and, and Rogi speaks in doggies, you know, so he was always saying Pawis instead of please. And you know. very cute. One of the things that happened uh, over the last year is the Brain uh, Institute Alliance of New Jersey adopted hashtag safe roads for Rogi, you know, for their own work, because, uh, you know, some people might well, why would the Brain Institute uh, Alliance of New Jersey or any other state because these brain brain injury alliances exist in, uh, I think, almost every state. You know, why would they be interested in a uh, traffic safety campaign? Well, you know, an awful lot of traumatic brain injuries occur because of crashes. You know, they they see this firsthand, and so anything that they could do to be proactive and preventive, you know, so that certainly is a, a highlight of this past year. But you know, second highlight is. Uh, we do uh, a local here in the Omaha area, uh, Live Forward 5K uh, each year. And we had been on somewhat hiatus for 2020 and 2021, where we did it virtually and people participated from around the country. But we were finally able to come together uh, in person. And so uh, it was really special to be able to engage uh, local families and quite a few new families that we had not met and encountered before. And uh, new relationships have grown out of that. You know, in particular, uh, our uh, guest, I think it was this past October, uh, was uh, Shane Taylor and uh, Connie Garrow. Shane, uh, his daughter Mia, died in a crash a couple of years ago. Connie had put together a team for in honor of Mia for our local 5K. That's how Shane got connected with us. He has a foundation, and uh, those of you who listen on a regular basis uh, got to hear them share their story back in October on our podcast. So, you know, new relationships like that that uh, uh, emerge uh, are pretty special uh, in and of themselves. But I think, too, over the last year, projects with our GM grant, uh, it's just been incredibly gratifying to see it grow and take root in uh, the communities that we've been working with. Because I think it not only gives hope within those communities, but it also uh, sets a precedence for what's possible elsewhere. Because there are plenty of under-resourced communities within our country. You know, people, no matter where they live, they care about what happens in their community. And, you know, to meet with people who are just so creative and uh, passionate about making their community better it's just a gift. I mean, because it's not something, again, going back to, I, I can't make it happen, but to be able to connect with them and be able to share the resources that, that we've been endowed with in order to be able to help affect some positive change in communities. To me, it's not only good within those communities, but it also helps to set up possibilities in other communities around the country. And that's something looking toward the future that I really hope that we can do much more work in many other communities that might be considered under-resourced when it comes to traffic safety uh, support and work with them as well. So, and that we've got some models that they can look at. Uh, they don't have to copy them, but it gives them some ideas to start out with to kind of uh, seed their own imagination about what they might like to do in their own community. So thinking about kind of what's occurred this past year 
And over the years, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome? <laughs> well, it, 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 this is not going to be a surprise to anybody out there who's worked with a nonprofit and especially a small nonprofit. Is I mean, the biggest challenge is just funding, constantly trying to seek out the uh, financial support to keep the mission going and growing or even on life support sometimes. You know, certainly that is a challenge. And, you know, sometimes uh, challenges come within communities themselves because there can be a very passionate citizenry that is really ready and motivated to get something done. But, you know, if there's not cooperation from, you know, the mayor's office or city council or public works or whoever, that can be a particular challenge. Now, that said, you know, I can say that, you know, we've worked with uh, over 600 law enforcement agencies over the years, which uh, is just a huge plus to be able to have partners that extend, you know, beyond what they do in the day-to-day to say, well, you know, we want to engage our, our residents and be partners with them. And so a lot of creative ideas have uh, come out of that. Because, you know, when I mention a challenge like that, to me, that is, uh, you know, it's not an everyday challenge. It's, it's a once-in-a-while challenge. And I think, you know, one of the challenges too, again, being a small nonprofit with a uh, really a national focus, because as I mentioned, we've worked with over 1,700 communities around the country. So we have quite a network of communities that we've worked with, but still it's a, it's a challenge to, um, you know, to get the message out, to get the word out that we exist, that we're here, that we're happy to work with you wherever you are whatever the challenges might be in your community. And we're open to being creative so that whatever you come up with in your community really does have the look and feel of who you are. But if we take a town like Milford, Delaware, small town, but, uh, you know, they created a campaign in this past year that reflected who they are as a community. I mean, to the point where uh, we redid the colors on our logo for signage that they did in their town because so it would match up with their town colors, ah. you know, so, you know, doing something just as simple as that can give it a hometown feel. And we incorporated their uh, city logo into it and everything so that it, it, it looks and feels and acts like something that really is local that we're committed to. And it's not something that somebody just dropped in here and, uh, oh, well, there's where that come from. You right. know, and so, you know, even the, the planning of it, you know, with the city officials, with the uh, police department and uh, with their one of their local state farm agents pitched in to make a uh, donation to help make it happen. And then was able to get a further grant through state farm that helped to underwrite the initial costs of doing everything. And, you know, which speaks to me, I love public private partnerships. I mean, when when those come together for the good of the community you know, to me, that's just always a good thing. And it's really nice to see those kind of partnerships uh, happen. Sure. Well, we've talked about how how Keep Kids Alive has evolved over the years, how Live Forward at, at Pikes Peak has evolved over the years. What can we look forward to next year? Well, next year, uh, it being our 25th anniversary year, we we want to highlight the 25th anniversary in everything that we do. I mean, we're going to continue to work with communities that are open to, you know, creating community-based traffic safety campaigns that work to engage residents as a frontline solution to the problems we cause going back to where the speeders, stop sign runners, people won't put down our cell phones, et cetera. So we'll continue to do that work. 
I am looking forward to what we continue to learn through our GM-funded projects uh, in Highland Park, Michigan, in St. Louis, and in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, as those campaigns continue to take root and spread to other neighborhoods as well. But in particular, one of the things I'm looking forward to is I'll be on a panel at uh, the National Lifesavers Conference in Seattle, April 2nd through the 4th. And it'll give me an opportunity to share about what we've been doing with our GM project. But in particular, what I'm uh, looking forward to is that our partners in Highland Park, St. Louis, and Phoenix are going to be able to be present. We're going to be able to bring them with us, and I'll be able to introduce them as part of my presentation and uh, really highlight their community work and invite people who are participating to have conversations with them because they're the ones who are doing the work on the ground in their community and uh, have helped to mobilize particularly people resources to get engaged in the processes of, and the, that uh, of the campaigns that they've initiated uh, or in the case of St. Louis with the uh, documentary that they've put together that'll, that'll air. I really look forward to that to give a platform to some folks who oftentimes wouldn't have a platform on a national stage. And so if any of our listeners are going to be at Lifesavers, you know, come see us at our workshop and we'll have a a booth at the exhibit hall as well. So it'll be a a formal place where people can meet our partners, you know, but we look forward to uh, doing something really special on uh, July 29th when we'll have our uh, annual Live Forward 5K here in Omaha. We haven't got all the ideas worked out, but we want to really make it a special celebration, maybe even more so than we've done in the past. And we look forward to our our, uh, 16th Pikes Peak weekend uh, in September and bringing families from all over the the country together. We we already have families planning to join us from uh, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, um, California, Texas, Nebraska, Missouri. I feel like I'm just getting started. So it should be another incredible weekend uh, for us in uh, in Colorado Springs. But then, too, for those of you in the listening in the Omaha area or anybody who wants to come visit Omaha in the middle of February, uh, we're still nice people in the middle of February, no matter how cold it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll be having a, a special uh, uh, celebration uh, fundraiser, Certified Transmission, which is a locally owned company that... Uh, they actually recondition transmissions for transmission shops all across the country. So they're a pretty big deal, not just here in town, but across the country. But their owner, uh, Peter Fink, has one of the largest uh, independent classic car collections in the country that he has uh, warehoused in a special museum that's not open to the public, but he donates it to nonprofits for fundraising purposes. And there's over 130 classic cars in that space, uh, as well as uh, classic guitars, vintage guitars that are signed by, you know, rock and roll artists and, and vintage pinball machines that actually can be played. And But that'll be on February 16th uh, here in Omaha. And we're really looking forward to inviting everybody who wants to come to come see an incredible collection of cars because... Uh, we will not have a sit-down dinner. Everything will be handheld food because people are not going to want to sit down. Yeah, <laughs> this, I got to uh, see that collection. Yeah, this is an incredible collection. So for us, I mean, it's something very different uh, as far as a fundraiser goes, and we're really excited about it. We're even uh, 
looking at having uh, food trucks and just kind of make it a fun evening. And then we already have a local sponsor, uh, TR Racing Team, uh, has uh, been a real supporter of uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25, particularly our local 5K over the years. And uh, they're going to come out and bring their race car out so people can see that and learn about what they're doing. But they're our first sponsor for the event, and uh, we're hoping to add other sponsors as well as uh, the date gets closer. So those are you know, a few of the things that we're looking at in the year ahead. And uh, every month, every year holds surprises. And so uh, uh, I've always said from the beginning that Keep Kids Alive Drive 25 is kind of organic in nature and that uh, my job is to pay attention to what's popping up and uh, what's it, what are we being invited to do and what directions are we invited to go in uh, because of the opportunities that present themselves. And uh, I anticipate that that will certainly be true in our 25th year as well. So listeners out there, if uh, you've got some imagination, you say, I'd like to see something fantastic happen in our community uh, in 2023. You know, again, you can contact me via our website. Uh, you can email very easily. If we wanted to wrap things up, we could, but I have one question that I wrote from my perspective as a listener since we started and I've listened to all these people share their stories, right? And there's a lot of grief in there, but there's also a lot of hope, a lot of advocacy. And as a listener, I haven't been first person impacted by losing someone in a traffic incident. But at the same time, I listen to these stories and I just come away like kind of angry, kind of upset because I still see news reports that, you know, it's the governor's traffic safety association or something reported an increase just last year. Like what message would you have for someone like that? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, impresses me about so many of the people and so many that we have had on our keep kids alive podcast who are sharing their stories in the wake of the death of one or more family members is that underlying that is a great hope that they have, that things could be better, that things could be different. And, uh, and they've really committed themselves to that. And despite you know, what gets reported, and there's, there's plenty of negative things to, to look at, and yes, you know, over the last few years, uh, the deaths, deaths have gone up on American roadways. And uh, you know, in many ways, I, I feel like that's on us you know, that we need to pay attention to who we are and what I always like to use the, the phrase practice the better, which I borrowed from somebody, because <laughs> I, I think it describes what we're, we're asked to do is to practice the better when we get behind the wheel and, and allow the best of ourselves as human beings to come out and paying attention to the fact that other human beings occupy those other vehicles or walking down those streets or riding those bikes that they care as much about their family and friends as we care about our own. And we need to see ourselves in them. And uh, I think that's what's uh, so heartening about the families that I've encountered is that they just have a, a passion and a care for other human beings where they would never want any other family to go through what they have gone through. If we can keep that in mind, yeah, there's much more work to do. Uh, you know, I'm a member of the Vision Zero Advisory uh, Task Force here in uh, Omaha, and Vision Zero is all about what does a community need to do 
to uh, reduce traffic deaths to zero, which is the only acceptable number. And anybody who would say otherwise, uh, I would just ask, you know, who in your family do you consider to be expendable? Because uh, I don't know that any of us would say, uh, okay, they're expendable. They could die in a car crash and that would be okay. And if it's not okay in my family, why should it be okay in anybody else's family? And a lot of the work of Vision Zero has to do with creating uh, safe street systems where uh, you look at, you know, where a crash is happening, where are deaths happening, where are severe injuries happening. Uh, and, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint, what are the kind of things that could be done to mitigate the effects of any one crash? And also maybe a simple example is that, you know, putting in a roundabout reduces uh, traffic deaths to almost zero. And a lot of people get frustrated. They say, well, I don't like this roundabout, you know, and but the thing is, is that it helps to mitigate speed in a way that even if a collision were to happen, the damage would be so much less. And uh, the chances of dying or experiencing a severe injury would be reduced considerably. And so you know, part of it is, is looking at uh, what's called a safe systems approach about how do we create a system that is engineered in a way to reduce the effects of crashes. But even so, one of the ways I like to look at that is that uh, any of us who have been a parent have probably been involved in trying to child-proof our house in some way, shape, or form. And, I mean, you could child-proof a house to the nth degree, but you still have to teach a child how to exist in an environment. Yeah. At all. I mean, it's kind of the focus of being a parent. And so, you know, even if we you know, try to engineer everything into perfection— in terms of, uh, you know, reducing uh, the effects of crashes or reducing the number of crashes themselves, you know, we still need to teach people how to interact with the environment. You know, the education piece doesn't get thrown out the door. We still have to uh, to focus in on our behaviors and, you know, what's going to help to uh, keep people safe on and along roadways, including ourselves. And uh, if we're going to be selfish in any way, shape or form, think about, well, what could I do to keep myself alive? Uh, because that might be a good starting point and then start applying some of those lessons to, oh, this is how I might be able to keep other people alive as well. That's good advice. I like that. Well, Tom, I think this has been a great kind of overlook of how the years have gone by and this past year and everything. And I appreciate you sharing what you have and also appreciate so much the people you've brought on your show so far. And I look forward to future episodes as well. And I do as well. I mean, one of the great gifts of the last few years has been this Keep Kids Alive podcast. Uh, we can draw a direct line to the podcast, to receiving the grants from General Motors, to be able to work with our partners in Highland Park and St. Louis and uh, Phoenix. I mean, that all resulted from this podcast. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And uh, it's always nice to meet once in a while. Uh, I'll actually meet somebody who says, oh, I listened to the podcast. And I'm like, oh, great. There's a real. There's a listener. Yeah. There's a face of somebody yeah. who's listening to us and everything. So uh, if you're one of those people who've uh, encountered me that way and told me that, thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, exciting. We, we, we do appreciate it. And I appreciate all the folks that we've had on this podcast because, I mean, you talk about you know, something that has been incredibly edifying over the last few years um, and is, is kind of a, uh, I think, a natural outgrowth of all the work that came before 
the Keep Kids Alive podcast has really given us a forum to be able to share stories and uh, talk about our mission in a way that hopefully resonates well with uh, folks who are listening. Absolutely. I know it's definitely hit me in a lot of, in my heart and that sort of thing. So I can't thank those guests enough because they're sharing their stories and they have to be vulnerable to do it. That said, you know, I have to thank you, Margie and Richard, because the podcast hasn't happened without you. And uh, I mean, we've been great partners and, uh, you know, it's just been terrific to uh, have been able to be the beneficiary of professional support with the podcast. And I have to give a shout out to Nabil Mole, uh, is on our board of directors. And uh, I don't know how often I get to give a shout out to somebody on our board. Do you want to just kind of name off the board and give thanks, like sure. any of your thanks? Or? Well, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, for those of you who may not be familiar, they are listed on our website, but, uh, you know, but Doug Troop, who's retired from a risk management position with uh, Tenasca Energy, uh, He's our uh, board chair, and uh, his uh, wife, Sherry, is also on our board. I mentioned Nabil Mole, who you know owns uh, several SEO companies, uh, Search Engine Optimization, which I knew nothing about before I, I met Nabil, but uh, now I at least know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's and a good I'll, start. Yes, and for those of you who don't, you know, I guess you can look it up. And uh, you know, I'm thankful for uh, Jamie Muckerjee, who... Uh, is uh, with Children's Hospital here in Omaha. She's been a longtime board member. And 2022 uh, marked a special ceiling of a partnership with Children's Hospital here in Omaha. We were connected through the Safe Kids Coalition uh, for Douglas County and uh, have been uh, connected for years through Safe Kids. But this year, uh, we were able to formalize our partnership in a particular way. The Safe Kids Coalition, uh, through the trauma department at Children's, does a lot of outreach in the community. They ordered several hundred uh, Keep Kids Alive Drive 25-yard signs and a couple of thousand uh, trash can decals to be able to pass out at community events. And so, you know, one of the nice things about that is that, you know, it helps get our message out uh, throughout the community and, uh, you know, also opens up opportunities for us to uh, partner with children's. And, you know, these are the kind of partnerships that not only here locally in Omaha, but, uh, you know, throughout the country, uh, we welcome the opportunity to pursue partnerships like that that just make sense to work to help make neighborhood streets safer for everyone. And Larkin Gassman with uh, Kaizen Collision. Uh, she's been a longtime board member and has really worked to bring uh, others onto our board as well. Uh, so she has just been a real uh, bonus for us. Hugh uh, Spellman, who's been a longtime board member, is retired from uh, Mutual of Omaha. And one of our new board members, uh, Dave Laird, who's uh, recently retired and has joined us in the last year. Alejandra Jimenez, who's with the uh, Omaha Chamber of Commerce. She is uh, helping us in a big way with our February 16th fundraiser. Last but not least, <laughs> but I, I think uh, Alexandra Moran as well. Uh, Alexandra has been with us for a few years and uh, she has some real expertise in uh, event planning and has been a real uh, plus uh, in that way. So, uh, you know, and in mentioning our board, just recognizing that, uh, you know, nothing happens just because of one person doing something or having a vision that it, it takes a lot of support to make it all happen. 
You know, so our board is very important that way, as anybody with a nonprofit knows, um, you know, there's so many things you can't, uh, unless you've got an active board that cares about your mission. And so, so grateful for all of those folks and for all of those people who may be board members in the future and for all the people who have been board members in the past uh, that have helped us to make it, uh, to navigate through these uh, almost 25 years. That's awesome. That's great support. And again, for anybody who wants information, uh, keep kids alive, drive25.org or kkad25.org. Happy to have you visit our website. Like I say, you can be in touch with us off the website. We always happy to hear from you and uh, always welcome to set up a call or a Zoom or whatever works for you to be able to have a conversation about what can happen in your community or how we can support your family. Thank you.